It's the Muppet History Podcast with your host, Joshua Gillespie, and featuring Madison Mantis. Yay! Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to the Muppet History Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Gillespie, the creator of Muppet History, and joining me as always is my good friend, Madison Mantis. Hi again. Thanks for coming back. We are back with another special guest. This time we have Trevor and Ellen Crass, the producers of the brand new Street Gang, How We Got to Sesame Street documentary. Welcome, guys. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks. Appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. I just watched it and uh, I watched it mm, maybe three times in a row. Like I, 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 I couldn't get enough. It's just like, and I always say like, you know, things about like the Muppets and Sesame Street. I'm like, it's always my favorite, but like, I watch a lot of documentaries and this really is one of my like favorites. It was so beautifully done. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, we appreciate it. Yeah. I got the chance to see it at a Sundance right. when it premiered there. Um, and then there was a second showing and it just so happened that my girlfriend was coming over that day and I was like, oh, guess what we get to do? <laughs> oh, so I've seen it about four times now. Okay. Way, um, to, way to try to uh, show me up, but you know. Yeah, and now, and now it's available to own. It's not just a 48 hour rental. Correct. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, it is available for purchase on iTunes or Amazon or wherever uh, you buy and download your digital media. Um, one thing I will say, I think Ellen and I have you both beat. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it five times. Um, or, or is it five Ooh. times, 500 times? I can't remember, but it's we've somewhere, seen it, we've it's seen somewhere it in there. We've seen it so many times. Yeah. We can't count. Yeah. Every we've time. forgotten. We've forgotten the amount of times we've seen it. But so. I will tell you, it's funny. We, we joke about it a lot, but it, you know, we still get caught up just continuing to watch like you know we're looking sometimes we're looking for a scene for maybe like a marketing material or you know or a, an interview mm -hmm. prep or whatever and then it's like oh it starts we start rolling through yeah. the movie and uh well, this is good it's we like just, this movie we're proud of it we're, we're proud of it so we're really we're really happy that you guys uh, have enjoyed it too so thank you that, that's really the most i think the most important part when you create anything yeah, is do you enjoy it are, are you finding yourself, you know, getting hooked into yeah, it. Yeah. And I mean, there were a lot of points in time during the, during the process where, you know, we needed to find a clip or something and, you know, we'd be on Muppet Wiki or we'd be on YouTube or something. And then, you know, all of a sudden you realize you watched about like 11 Grover sketches in a row <laughs> And you have no idea why or even what you're looking for anymore. You don't really care because it's yeah, awesome right. and it's a lot of fun. So you don't have to worry about it. But there was work to do. And so you did have to like we, we did really have to sort of refocus. All right. I have to put down not watching more Grover sketches and I have to actually find that one piece that I was looking for that's relevant. So it's it's hard. There's I mean, obviously, the show is, you know, in its 52nd season and there's just such an enormous amount of material that we had to sift through on all fronts just to to you know put the film together you got to put down the grover if you want to get your film <laughs> i like it um no now speaking of that because um i mean there was so much material how i mean how many hours of footage do you guys think have you seen like basically every single piece of 
the show. It certainly point. feels that way. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's so interesting because there, yes, there's so much. And obviously our show focuses on the origin story of Sesame Street and the gang of amazing, we call them rebels, uh, that came together to create really what was not at the time was an experiment. It was a workshop um, in creating educational programming for children and underserved children in um what was the term of the inner city at the time, which were communities of color, right? That, and mm-hmm. and so we watched a lot of early seasons, you know, in focusing on the, the uh, you know, in putting the film together. And, you know, it was, it, it, it's, as Trevor said, it's addictive. There's certainly a lot of amazing stuff, but, you know, we also were so incredibly lucky to get this behind the scenes footage um, that was shot by an art director uh, on the show at the time, which was, um, you know, Victor DiNapoli. We call it the DiNapoli footage. And that's about 16 hours of... of... Uh, yeah, it's about, yeah, it's about 12, wow. hours, 12 hours, I think. 12 yeah. hours? Okay, yeah. I, I, it's... That's going to be a bonus feature, well, right? Well, it's, it's, it, is, it is pieced throughout the entire film, right? That's all. It's a lot. Every time you see anybody uh-huh. on the set working and practicing and rehearsing those scenes, those amazing scenes of you know, uh, Jim and Frank doing, you know, their, um, doing their work, or you see everybody around the piano rehearsing, you know, on the street, that's all what we call the Dinapoli footage. And there's interviews. And, and what was so lovely about that footage is that because, you know, um, Victor Napoli was a member of the gang, you know, everybody felt so incredibly comfortable mm-hmm. around him and was just gave so much access and love and support. And you really feel it when you're watching the interviews that you see with John Stone are part of that footage, the interviews that you see with Jim Henson. And, um, you know, and that's really, it's, it's amazing stuff. It's, it's, we were so lucky to get access uh, through the workshop to be able to use that footage. And it's all 16 millimeters. So it's very high quality, you know, um, it was easy to transfer to 2k so we could, you know, put it in the film and have it really hold up. I mean, that's really, I think one of the gems of the movie is, is, you know, some of this has been seen just like little tiny pieces Mm -hmm. of it have been seen, you know, here and there, the, you know, DVD release here and there, they've put a little bit, but the bulk of what we have is really never, never been seen before. Um, and there's so much that, uh, people forgot about, I think Mm -hmm. just through the process, you know, just the, you know, so many different scenes in the, in the show, there was a, just, just, just popped up on Reddit a little while ago that there was a professor Hastings scene with Kermit about the letter Y that apparently was like lost footage. And we didn't know it was lost footage. We just thought it was a funny bit yeah. and we just threw it in there. But it was just, it was, I mean, I think that's the thing that's so amazing is that as we've uncovered all of this footage and um, Rich Remsberg, who was our archival producer, Mm. did this enormous yeoman's task of finding things that even the workshop hadn't seen before. Um, Or hadn't seen or hadn't seen for 50 years. (laughs) Yeah. Um, There was a CBC Canadian broadcast, uh, um, news piece uh, called Seeds of Sesame, which was a fantastic find, which was really this deep dive into the first season of, of the show. And we use a lot of that footage as well. Luckily, it was like a 15 or 20 minute spot. So <laughs> we were right. able to use a bunch mm-hmm. of a bunch of I think we used about 12 minutes of that. It was fantastic. So yeah. Do you think uh, Victor was planning on or was he planning on doing something uh, with that footage, like creating maybe his own documentary or or was it just for fun? Didn't John Stone want to do one at some point, too? Yes. Yeah. yeah he, and he makes that comment. You know, you see, I guess that's what, you know, I always told Joan that we should do a documentary yeah. about, you know, 
behind the scenes. Behind the scenes of Sesame Street. I guess we're doing it now. That was his comment directly to Victor Dinepoli because that was the intent of all this footage that he was shooting and it never happened. And you know, it's it's so interesting. I often think, why didn't it happen? We don't really have any real intel around that. But when you think about the fact that this is was and still is a nonprofit institution um, that was basically working every day to make sure that they had the funding to do the programming to serve children, doing something that basically told their story has never been a big priority right. <laughs> for the workshop. Okay. Um, you know, unless it's something that again goes back and serves children. And so that was sort of, I think, maybe one of the reasons why it never happened, but we certainly felt very yeah, fortunate to be able to get access and to use it. Now, the first question we ask all of our guests is, what is your Muppet history? How did you come to love these characters, want to work with these characters, you know, create this documentary? Well, I mean, I was a Sesame Street kid. I mean, I grew up with it. I was, you know, would watch, uh, would watch the show with my dad and my mom in our basement in Long Island. And I just remember how much fun, we always laughed a lot. You know, my parents would laugh and I would laugh. And, you know, flash forward, a, you know, 30 plus years and, uh, you know, 40 plus years. And, you know, as Ellen and I were building our company Macrocosm, it's really our passion is really building worlds. And that's either through our own projects like Lantern City or the Nazi Secret Society, um, some comic book series that we've and graphic novels that we've created or, you know, showcasing amazing worlds that have been built like Street Gang. You know, it's we were looking for a project that was this was back in 2015. We were looking for a project that was something that was, you know, really we were passionate about and something that was very unique. And uh, we had discovered Michael's book. And um, I'm a huge Jim Henson fan, always have been. I think he's one of the best world builders that there's that there's ever been in modern American media. And so I was looking for something and this this book came across our our path and uh, I read it and I just I was really blown away by how much I didn't know. And I thought I was sort of a Sesame Street super fan, like Grover and I have the same birthday and like, <laughs> you know, I know it all. I know everything. But uh, <laughs> but it's but I was I'd never heard of John Stone before ever, you know, and I, I, I knew of Joan Gans Cooney, I suppose. But I, I never I just didn't know the level of work that it took to put the show together. And page after page, I just was amazed with Michael's book at just how much you know, I just didn't know. So I handed the book over to Ellen and I said, you got to read this. This might be our next, might be our next thing. Yes. And I felt the same way. I mean, my, my Muppet history is also, I was Sesame street kid. I loved, you know, I also love the electric company. I have to say the, the two shows, I mean, I, you know, Rita Marino and Hey, you guys, that was like my jam, but, um, but also, you know, the Muppet show, all of that. I loved all that as a kid and, you know, but I mean, what, drew me to the project was we wanted to make an, you know, what I was interested in was making, we had just done the, uh, the not so secret society, which was a children's graphic novel. And we were looking, we were new parents and we were looking to do a book though for adults or a, or a project for adults. And I thought after reading Michael's book, there was so much also that I didn't know. And I thought it would be so incredibly interesting for other children who grew up adults now who grew up watching Sesame Street to learn about this thing that we thought we knew so well and uh and so I was hooked and so you know let's 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 do it and we came at it from sort of different angles right? yeah so like I I love the sort of history of television portion of it the the sort of commentary about our our society and Ellen I think you really gravitated towards a lot of the social aspects as well yeah I was really I love the fact I loved 
the story of Jung Gans Cooney, um, you know, being a, a female executive in television who basically, you know, had had this whole idea in her head, you know, working with um, Lloyd Morissette or, for the original concept, but really, you know, she had to put this team, this gang together in order to create the show. And that was extremely interesting to me. And then obviously the purposefulness of it, you know, the intentionality of knowing what they were creating was for something that was bigger than themselves. And this was educating children and particularly children who had been left behind due to racism and poverty. And so I thought, you know, that, that to me was the, was the, the check mark, you know, that I thought would be really important to tell the story. You know, you look at so many other Sesame Street behind the scenes things and they focus mainly on Jim and I love Jim. I mean, look what I've created. <laughs> um, Very true. I, I would, I would think I would at this point, but, um, you know, I was always telling people, I was like, you know, it wasn't just Jim. It was, it was all these people. And that's what I love so much about both the book and this documentary is giving focus to people who really don't usually get the attention they deserve. Yeah. Even Joan Gans Cooney doesn't, you know, she's the mother of Sesame Street yet. Mm-hmm. You know, most people wouldn't know that. They would think, oh, I mean, I get plenty of comments saying, you know, Jim created Sesame Street. I'm like, oh, he did. He did. <laughs> well, wow. interesting. But you know, John Stone definitely, um, and he had such a interesting history with Jim even before Sesame Street. Yeah. And yet he just kind of fell to the side. And then the focus on people like Chris Surf and Joe Raposo. I mean, that that made me so happy. I was like, finally, these people are getting the spotlight they have needed. And the craziest part was, you know, I've heard his singing on several songs, but I think this was one of the first times I've ever actually heard Joe Raposo speak. Ah, uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah, I was thinking that too. It's really cool that it, there was just light brought to these unsung heroes as I keep kind of thinking of them as. Totally. Well, no, and I, I so appreciate both of you saying that because that was our intention. You know, it was it was a gang. This was this was a village. You know, I mean that that statement it takes a village. I mean this was this was a group of people that came together with again with a common purpose that was greater than themselves. And, you know, when I think about John, you know, his, he was so much like the heart and soul and vision of the show and everything, once he was, you know, uh, brought on by Joan and convinced to take this on, cause it took some convincing, you know, he wasn't sure that he wanted to come back to children's television after having worked on Captain Kangaroo. And he was, you know, in Vermont and had a young family and was like, I don't know about all this. And, you know, as he says in the documentary, she was a very persuasive and charming lady and, you know, she got him to come on board and he brought Jim Henson in and he brought in Joe Raposo. And, you know, these are people that he had worked with doing, um, that sh- there was a, special they did called Hey Cinderella, which was an interpretation of, mm-hmm. of uh, obviously the Cinderella story. And, you know, and he and Jim had worked on experimental film. They did a, did a documentary called Youth 68 about the, you know, the youth movement in the late 60s. And so, you know, they had this, they had, he had these amazing connections with these amazingly creative people. But, you know, there was also people like 
the amazing Chris Surf and Norman Stiles and, you know, my favorite Evelyn Davis, you know, who was a community organizer, the founder of 100 Black Women in New York City, who was brought in specifically to ensure that the content that they were creating was actually serving the children that they were hoping to serve in the way that was intended. So she would go out with the media vans. I mean, just imagine like the late 60s having a media van pull up to your school or to your neighborhood where you could come in and get like watch these snippets of these like crazy sketches of Muppets and animation, you know, Um, and she was she led that team that went out and did that. So, you know, and it was another struggle we had was how much of the gang we could really showcase in this film, because if if you sit through the credits, which we made entertaining on purpose, we want because, Uh you know, we wanted to list we listed as many people as we possibly could that we could thank that were involved with creating the show, because there are many. And, you know, but we had to pick certain people to help sort of forward the story. Um, But there are so many that we couldn't recognize within the the narrative of the film, but we hope to, we, we made sure to mention them in the credits. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That was the best part too. Oh my gosh. Like I, I was just going to say, I was even asking Josh, I'm like, is this like the, the put down the ducky, that whole, you know, and everybody was like, that was the cutest thing. It brought me to tears just because it's like, you could tell like how much fun that these guys had making this show. And, um, and I asked Josh, I'm like, have you seen this before? Like, is this whole thing somewhere else? And he's just like, I don't think so. And I I was like, wow, like they really pretty much confirm that this is, that's the first time that that has ever been seen outside of the workshop itself. Uh, you know, during some Christmas parties and that's where it aired originally um, was during these sort of big holiday parties that they would have. But um, yeah, that's never, that's a, that's an absolute street gang exclusive. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Right. And I think one of the things I love about that one so much is it does show the whole gang. I mean, that was a, that was, you know, Mm -hmm. early eighties crew, but it's everybody. It's the riggers. It's the, you know, it's the set deck people, it's art directors, it's, you know, it's everybody. And I think one of the best parts of that, it's just there's so there's so much just lovely um, animation of Jim. You know, he's having so much fun when he's singing that stuff. And it's, you know, and and like Fran says, I think in, in, you know, her part, it's like trying to see how much good, uh, funny jokes you can make and make make Jim laugh like that was the greatest thing ever you know and I think that's a big part of it mm-hmm. I think that was the the maybe the most like crazy like silliest I've ever seen him as himself and I thought that was really cool I was I, I think that's what made me cry and then and then even too all these other people that you know wouldn't necessarily get this you know recognition it's like you know I mean so great that you guys you know did that and thought about that and everything with the credits um and speaking of the footage, how was it getting all like, was it just in boxes and reels like at the workshop? Like, how did you guys get this stuff? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes is the short answer. Probably boxes and boxes and boxes. Yeah. I'm sure. Well, you know, and again, I go back to this treasure chest. Yeah. Yes, seriously. I mean, I will go back to this It's a nonprofit organization, you know, so mm-hmm. it's different than like, you know, we were, and again, we were so incredibly fortunate to have the workshop be on board with us to um, give us access to their archives, our, you know, archival and their archives, the Jim Henson company as well. And, you know, the difference is that Jim, you know, Jim always had a sense of his legacy. It's interesting, you know, when you think about how young he, he died, you know, was that part of some, you know, there's many people who have theorized about this, but, you know, he was always recording and saving 
his work. And, and he knew that that was important. When you look at the work and their archives, you know, Karen Falk at the, at the archives at the Henson Company, amazing and vast. And then when you come to the workshop, you know, this is a workshop and a nonprofit organization who, again, they're little priority truly in um, having that same kind of um, robustness, but they have an archive and they have archivists now that are on staff because it's 52 years, but there are, it's because it's 52 years and there's been many buildings and things like this. We literally went over to places like Kaufman Studios where they're currently shooting the show and they're like, well, go in the green room and there's a closet and there are some boxes in there and you might find something. And I like, I went in and I found like the wedding photos of Maria and Luis and like, and like, and like Roscoe Orman trying on different hair pieces. It's amazing. <laughs> like it was amazing photos, none of which we ended up using, but like, you know, but there is, there's a lot of stuff. And, and the other thing we were really happy with is we helped to catalog and through this process of doing the film, there was a lot of archival that we just helped them organize and digitize and, and keep for posterity because it's so critically important. All of this stuff. It is our history. Absolutely. You get that uh, Indiana Jones vibe. You pick it up and this belongs in a museum. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> I remember when I watched it the first time, I was sitting there and it was when the the Wilkins coffee bloopers started going. I immediately started texting one of my uh, friends who collects, like he goes on eBay and he buys 16 millimeter films of Muppet stuff. And he, I was like, you have to see this film. You have to see this film. You have to see this <laughs> I think there was like maybe probably like every like two, three minutes. I was like, oh, my God, like out loud. And like, I don't think anybody else like in the house, like understood why they're like, what? I don't get it. I'm like, you can't see this stuff anywhere else. Like, this is insane. I was going to say, I think that's the that's one of the parts that, you know, from a storytelling aspect, you know, we really wanted to show the outtakes. We wanted to show the bloopers, you know, because this is people working. Yeah. You know, I mean, these are adults all working, creating television, creating, you know, mm-hmm. things that they were doing 130 episodes a season. That is a cataclysmic amount of shows. With all original music. Yeah, for every episode. <laughs> you know, all original you know, content. It's, a, it's, it's a, crazy. It's a musical variety show. And, oh, you know, we, we oh, do gosh. have some extras um, on the DVD that, uh, and, uh, one of them is, is, you know, about Joe Raposo and the sound of the show. And, <laughs> you know, through some of the archival that we had to cut, you know, there's some of the Sesame street band and they're basically, you know, they, they said he was writing all the time, you know, he was writing everywhere and the music was coming in late and it was coming in hot because he would just slap it together at the last minute and it would be done. Um, but it was, there was so much, but that's the thing. That's what, that's the important part outside uh-huh. of the outtakes being fantastic and amazing and hilarious. It's also important because these are people working and this is the result of, you know, people with a common goal and an incredible passion for what they're doing at a time in their life that, it, you know, for some, for some people, this is probably the highlight of their careers is doing this show and being a part of this amazing thing that, you know, we always think of, you know, I joke around, I think of, of Sesame Street like air, you know, it's like, oh, I can always get up and breathe today and Sesame Street will all, always be around. Like, I don't have to worry that it's not going to be there, but it started at a point in time where there was nothing else like it. And, mm-hmm. and the people that we chronicled and documented in our film these are the people that made it happen in a very real 
very real way. There was no magic. Right. You know, there was an incredible amount of intentionality and work and, and effort, work. you know, I mean, like, you know, like Brian Henson says, mm -hmm. you know, my dad come home four days later, go into the city, come home four days later. They were sleeping on couches. They were sleeping on, you know, pieces of set. They were just there cranking out an incalculable amount of wonderful stuff. And I think that's part of, you know, when you're stagnant for a long time as a creative person, it's hard to get the engine revved up. But when you're working that hard, you're constantly thinking of new ideas. Something else is popping in your head and you got to work it out and you got to write it down and you got to create something. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's what they were into at mm -hmm. that point in time. The engines were all on overdrive for 20 some odd years. You know, <laughs> It was really that mentality of we've been given this, this crazy opportunity. We have to get it right. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And Joan says that, you yeah. know, she said, gosh, if we had failed, I mean, you know, yeah. it, they could, couldn't even, they couldn't even contemplate failure, you know, two year buildup into the release of the show. Yeah. And then it hit like a volcano. And I think that was John's, John was really the shepherd of the core of the vision. You know, he was the one that, you know, like in, like inside out the core memories, mm -hmm. you know, like he had those ultra yeah. ideals and he kept everything moving forward, you know, after Jim died and, you know, he kept everything on track, you know, and I think that's part of what, you know, obviously we end our documentary right around that time, you know, uh, when Jim passes, but, you know, Jim passing was obviously a, a huge blow to the entire, you know, no one really could comprehend it when they heard, you know, but at the same time, you know, because, you know, as we just said earlier, you know, Jim didn't create the show. It continued on, you know, and there were other stewards that were there to pick up the, the mantle and continue forward creating and doing. And John was really one of the primary people there for that. I mean, he created the look of the of the stoop, you know, as you know, if you haven't seen the documentary, there's a whole section in about, you know, this public service announcement that he saw on TV. That piece, by the way, took us three years to get. So in case anybody was wondering wow. how long Whoa. one piece of archival footage can sometimes take, wow. from the time we started looking to the time we finally got the signed contract, it took about three years. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's... What's the, what's the process of that? Uh, waiting, waiting is the process. Yeah. So that's it. Wow. Oh my gosh. If anybody, if anybody wanted to know how long you have to wait for something, I mean, well, yeah, you have to remember too. I mean, well, to know or understand, like when you're talking about what you can use in a film, you know, we have like some people, it's so funny when we see things, we're like, why didn't you put this in? Or why didn't you put that in? Rights and clearances are usually the yeah. reason why <laughs> you do or do mm -hmm. not use something, right? <laughs> you guys know. Yeah. And, you know, and there are things that we fought for that were like very important. And that was one of them, you know, yeah. that was such a crucial piece that again, Rich Remsberg, our amazing archival director, uh, archival producer found, you know, was just this, he actually found the PSA that John references in the interview. And, you know, it was, you know, owned by, it was, it was in, yeah, it was hiding in a university archive in, in California. And, you know, and then there was a pandemic, you know, yeah, but yeah. Even beyond that, we, we started well before the pandemic, the pandemic certainly didn't help anything, no. but, <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. you know, but, but wheels turn slowly in, in, you know, in, in educational institutions, especially when you're dealing with something that's very out of the realm of 
you know, what they normally do. You know, it's like, here's what we're going to give you, rights and clearances. I'm sure it'll be all right. It's like, well, no, there's an enormous amount in this contract that we just can't agree to. And then, so we sent back a huge red line of the contract and they were like, huh? <laughs> and so then that just sort of sat there on somebody's desk that didn't want to deal with it for about nine wow. months. And then, you know, and we constantly nudged them to say, hi, we really would love to use this piece. It is the only existing copy in the entire world of this yeah. PSA. Would, could you, could we please use it? And, you know, you're very nice and you work through the process and, and then you get there. But I think that's, you know, certainly in documentary film, narrative film is a little bit more straightforward or can be more straightforward because you have a script, mm -hmm. but patience is, uh, is not a virtue. It's a necessity <laughs> With documentary, in, in documentary yes. filmmaking. Yeah. Well, I applaud you guys for that because I have no patience no, for anything. No. So. <laughs> I don't either, actually. I don't know why I'm doing it's this. It's so funny. He does not. He does not. But he does very well. <laughs> we, we joke a lot that we've been working on this documentary since 1865. Yeah. So I was going to say, I remember when it was first announced and I was like, oh, man, this is going to be cool. And then. Yep. A few years yeah. later, I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah. oh damn, that, that's still happening. Yeah, yes. no, it's that yes. was our uh, initial Indiegogo campaign. And, you know, the workshop was very much on board and has I, mean, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I don't know if we thank our, you know, archival partners enough like Sesame Workshop and, and the Jim Henson Company and and, you know, and Reposo Music and the Reposo. Yeah, Joe Reposo Music Group, you know, it's one thing to be a filmmaker and have to wait a long time. But you know, the workshop really stuck with us and, yeah. and everybody at the Jim Henson company really stuck with us because this was a long process. You know, we had, you know, to get extra funding, we had to do a lot of different layers of things in order to make the documentary what is now what everybody can see. You know, there was a lot of scheduling conflicts with filming people. There was just a lot of editing, a lot more editing than we had anticipated. So, um, you know, we got everybody's notes of, hey, is this still happening on the Indiegogo campaign? And, and yes, everybody is going to get their perks. If they're missing a perk, yes, you'll get your perk. Uh -huh. uh, but we actually had to have a movie in order to fulfill a lot of those yeah. perks, too. So, yeah. um, you know, this summer we'll be able to get all the last bits out for DVDs and downloads and all that kind of stuff. Um, this summer, all that will happen. But that is but that's part of it is that it's a it's a very emergent process. Um, and we certainly didn't anticipate it to take I was gonna say, six a lot years. Of it, a lot of it's by surprise mm -hmm. as well too and you know I, I, you know but i where our story is not unique even yeah. though it feels unique when you're going through it you know so many mm -hmm. filmmakers uh, go through processes like this and again i think what i i hope at the end of the day is that people feel like we do that it was that what we ultimately were able to put out was was worth the wait because it, it i think it is so much better than what we had originally even envisioned when yeah. we had this idea um and so we're, we're very proud of what we were able to put together. We're proud of you too. <laughs> it's I think, I think, Thanks, Madison. I think what the, the movie shows is how necessary Sesame street really was not just for teaching the inner city children at the time, but for changing the way educational or children's television was done. The, the most common reaction I get from everyone I've shown the film to is the scene where it's showing the old kids shows where they're like, 
if you want to make your mommy happy, tell her to go buy this. And everyone just immediately goes, whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Like even my mom who grew up somewhat in that same time period was like, I didn't realize that's how it really Mm -hmm. was. It's like, yeah, they really took advantage of children back then. And Sesame Street came and said, no, we need to help kids. Yeah. And imagine how it would be without Sesame Street. I know. And that's a, such an interesting thing. Even... We, people get out, we get asked that a couple, you know, and if we've been asked that a few times, like what, what would the world be like without Sesame Street? Or could you make a Sesame Street today? That's the other one we get. And I mean, who knows? You know, I mean, when you think about this original show was funded by you know, obviously the Ford Foundation and Carnegie and Foundation and the U.S. government, you know, put in millions, you know, into this yeah. show. Um, and, you know, and it was yeah. and they created a benchmark and, you know, certainly a, a, the architecture, you know, the architecture for what good looks like, you know, for when it, you're talking about it, it never had been done before. And, you know, and unfortunately, programming today for children, you know, runs the gamut (laughs) but it's also i mean anything you're gonna see though Uh like from nick jr or disney jr it's all curriculum based yes for the younger children anything that's an you know is a is a you know is a curriculum for you know certainly preschool or bridge you know a lot of terms that they use in on tv side of things you know these are all going to have a curriculum base and that's all because of Sesame street. There is no modern children's television without Sesame street. Full stop. It just doesn't exist. And the other thing I would say too, is that, you know, again, while we think about what we watched as kids and that's very much what we're showing in this film, you know, it is Sesame workshop and what they're doing now is still so credibly crucial and valuable to children today. It's, it's different. It's across multimedia platforms, you know, but from refugee work to the international work with AIDS and now to the racial, the racial justice, Mm -hmm. um, you know, initiatives that are happening with the new Muppets, Elijah and Wes. I mean, they are continuing to bring it's just revolutionary and unique content to children and families and helping families have conversations around difficult things like COVID. And, you know, that's amazing. And you don't see other entities doing that same work. And so what they began with that intentionality back in the late sixties is still mm-hmm. alive and well today, you know, in 2021, which is just insane. <laughs> really. When you think from any media platform to be able to retain that, you know, purity of intent and purpose is yeah, pretty amazing. Crazy. I'm surprised that not more people are, or, you know, more productions are like following that, I guess, because, you know, I'm sure everybody wants to be the Sesame street that, you know, they won't be, but I'm surprised that they're not, you know, following that more. Well, I mean, I, and there are shows like Storybots on Netflix. You know, we have a five-year-old, and that show is hilarious. It's awesome. And and it's you know the guys who created Jib Jab are, were the ones that built oh, wow. it. Wow. Oh wow. Oh yeah. Netflix uh, Netflix picked it up after like an enormous YouTube, you know, following. But you know, it's all about science. But they have they're on record essentially saying we wanted to create the modern day Sesame Street. And, you know, so they use puppets, they use animation, animation, they use lots of different media styles, they have lots of songs, they have celebrities, you know, like Snoop Dogg comes in as like the CPU when they try to find out how computers work. And like, it's awesome. It's amazing. You know, so I think that 
you know, there are people that are following the following the mantle. And I think Storybots is a really good example of that. But again, you know, media has changed Mm -hmm. the way that, you know, so much of what made Sesame Street intentionally great for families is, is that, you know, especially in that early period of time, they were really targeting adult comedy. And, you know, when you have people like Chris and Norman Mm -hmm. writing that, you know, uh, essentially that's, that was the goal was to have things resonate on a lot of different levels because, you know, parents would retain that and kids are not watching as much television with their parents anymore. Mm -hmm. So the whole style has changed a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. And the co-viewing, that was that was key, you know, to have it resonate on multiple levels so that children were watching it and getting something and parents were watching it and getting something and then they, they could talk about it. And they the studies that they were in the research they were doing showed that that actually helped the learning, um, the amplification of the learning for the children that were watching the show. So, you know, it was a it was, again, very intentional, very purposeful and hilarious. You know, I mean, the one flew over the cuckoo's nest was not for the four year old. It was for you know <laughs> it was for the uh, parents they didn't know what that meant they saw they saw a number one flying over a bird's nest you know the parents still funny, still funny yeah. but the parents knew what they were doing you know mm-hmm. and i think that's that's one of the reasons why i feel like these sesame street fans that grew up with it can still enjoy it i mean that's honestly why i, I still I get watch plenty it. of comments of people being like i'm 36 years old why am i still laughing at this and i'm like because it's because it's funny. I mean, there's a great Frank Oz quote where he said, we never wrote for children. We just wrote what we thought was funny. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. They, right. They wrote for short people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. I'm five, five, but I still like it. Exactly. I mean, I, there, there's, 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 uh, you know, I still think that the Grover and Kermit sketches, you know, it, it, that's just core comedy. Mm-hmm. You, it know, it, you don't have to be there's it's miscommunication. It's, it's just this perfect, these perfect comedic bites. And, you know, what, which is also true with, you know, Kermit and, and Fozzie or, you know, any of the other pairings, you know, Bert and Ernie. I mean, these are all great comedic bits. Personally, I think that the Kermit Grover salesman bits are the, some of the funniest ones. I just think that they just resonate as for an adult mm-hmm. on so many different levels you know, they're just great. I think my favorite still is the uh, Kermit and Cookie Monster with the, the mystery box where That's he's trying one. to get... Cause, got some bloop- like, There's some bloopers of that in our movie. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Um, like, just... And the thing that I've noticed now learning so much about Sesame Street is I'll watch something like that. And, of course, I'll... It's still hilarious, but at the same time, I'm like, what, what? what is the lesson we're learning here? What is the, but not even just the, the, you know, the outside message, the, uh, okay, this is the obvious one. What is the deeper idea and how does it get to kids when, in a way that they wouldn't realize? No. And, and you, once you, once you start thinking that way, you can't stop. Right. Cause yeah. it's really like you, you, it's like no, you constantly exactly. see it at that different level. I totally know what you mean. Let me ask you guys something. What is something that when you guys were going through all this, you know, archival stuff and just research, what's something that surprised you guys the most about Sesame Street or the crew or just anything? I mean, I think I kind of mentioned it earlier, but I, but not that it surprised me, but I didn't know about the community organizing that was happening, like with part as part of the show. I didn't, I had remembered, 
I'd heard about like them doing outreach in the beginning, but I didn't realize that they were doing real community outreach, you know, to ensure that this, the show was actually resonating with kids. I thought that was like, and when you think about how expensive that is and how, um, time consuming, yeah. you know, we, and mm-hmm. you know, people do market research. You certainly see like they'll bring kids into a, into a, a room now and do market research on products or shows or something like that. But when you think about really employing a crew of people to go out across a city, <laughs> you know, to ensure, I mean, that's pretty crazy. Like, I mean, and, and amazing mm-hmm. and wonderful, but, and so obviously, um, you know, effective and important. But I, I thought that was just really interesting around the architecture of the show and building the show. I mean, they spent a million dollars on advertising out of their budget. That was unheard of at that time to spend a million dollars. To have, you know, $8 million to produce this show was an enormous amount of money. And then on top of that, to spend an eighth of that on advertising? Forget it. Like, that was a absolute never had been tried before but it was just that that made sure that everybody knew what it was when it came out and it was you know already number one before it even hit the air essentially you know and I think for me I I think the learning a lot more about Joe Raposo Mm. and the sort of new American songbook for children you know you, you you of course you think about Sesame Street, for most people, you know, you think about the characters, you think about, you know, probably Muppets first, then human characters, then the street, and then the songs. That's probably the order it goes. But, you know, the song part of Sesame Street really can't be, you know, discussed enough because it was, as Joe says, a musical variety show. And... The vault, you know, just as much acting that was happening, the amount of music that was being pumped out, you know, there is in this in this extra scene, this extra feature deleted scene that we have, you know, Nick says it's the sausage factory. You don't want to know how it's made, but it's going to taste good. You know, it's like there was a constant run of music that was happening. And I think that was the thing that, you know, you hear all of these songs, but these are not just like, you know go to like iStockMusic.com and, you know, you're pulling down like tracks, you know, that, that are, you know, it's simple, but these were all built by some of the, by the best session musicians in New York city at that time, which is just, that's also incredible. You know, when you think, I mean, these Uh were, these were the best, they're the best of the best. When I was watching the movie with my mom, during the part where it was the just the medley of different Joe Raposo songs, and it was the I'm an aardvark and I'm proud, she went, you know, it takes a special kind of talent to write a song like that. Exactly. Yep. I was like, yeah, exactly. It really does. You think, oh, this is about the simplest, silly thing I can write, but really it takes mm-hmm. a lot of thought to be like, okay, how am I going to make this song work? Yeah. And then for him to write a song that had simply the phrase, we need a song for the frog. And it's like, oh, now Frank Sinatra is singing it. And now Ray Charles is singing it. It's like. But I think that that really is sort of the microcosm of the show, right? So you had all of these people and Joan has a really good quote. And she said, you know, individually, we were all great, but together we were a genius. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a really unique and wonderful way to say it because, you know, 
John pulled all of these creatives together and Joan let them do what they wanted to do. And there was very little oversight in, you know, at, that was put to their creative endeavors. You know, there was a lot of obviously very important rules around curriculum and how that worked and what it needed to serve for different kids and all that. But, you know, everybody, if I may just just jump in on that, there was also really important, uh, it was also really important to serve the audience. And that's a lot of what Joan was doing to make sure that they were listening because they got the amount of mail they got about what was being seen and what was being represented was a huge thing that she had to constantly be watching and, and looking over. Absolutely. But if you think about for like, John to ask Joe, hey, what does, the so- what does the frog do when he's quiet? Like when he's alone, what does he think about? Why don't you write a song about that? Normal people would get one done in like two or three years. And Joe did it in probably five minutes. And there's more that we cut, unfortunately, of the, some of the session musicians saying, we played it for the first time and we didn't play it wow. again. Like it all happened on the wow. very first time and all of us knew the minute we heard it it was something incredibly special you know everybody knew it when when being green was created but the same thing is true with jim jim could make a character and come up with something that was perfect right out of the gate and john would come up with an idea that was these were all people that there were there were no better people these were this was nasa this was kids tv nasa basically (laughs) I, I think the the most important thing about all of it was just trust. Um, we recently interviewed Paul Williams and he was we asked him what it was like to write the songs for all these productions. And he said it was so much easier than any other thing he ever worked on because there was no one ever hovering over his shoulder. Jim was like, I know what you're going to write. You go ahead and do it and I'll come back and I'll hear it when it's done. Yeah, it's interesting He's, he said that because I, I interviewed before... Um... Uh, we were interviewing a lot of directors and early in the process. And I had interviewed a director who had worked with Jim. Um, He's gone on to do a lot of animated series and things like that. But, you know, he said that Jim created a work atmosphere that was entirely without fear. You could screw up, you could mess it up, but there was no, you were not ever worried that there was a repercussion that was going to happen because you tried. Um, certainly, I'm sure there were some rough times with not trying, but if you really put something in and you experimented, there was never a point where it was like, well, you screwed that up, you're out, you're fired. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think, you know, that's that was an environment that was also cultivated some at, at Sesame as well. There was a lot of experimentation. I mean, even the first scripts, it says an experimental script for the children's television workshop you know these are it was all new stuff you look at the first season there is some out of left field stuff in there yeah absolutely stuff that you watch it and it's like you said you watch it and you're like oh that really didn't work (laughs) exactly right and again i will say like you know joan you know Mm -hmm. joan she was the captain of the of the whole ship and i think her leadership style enabled all of that to work as well. You know, I mean, it was, she trusted her people, you know, there, you know, she's, she's amazing. She's one of my personal, um, just heroes. And I, you know, we were uh, working with someone at the workshop a, a few years ago. Well, she was still, I think, a C, uh, CEO, like emeritus. And she, um, they were saying, you know, we were, I was on an elevator with her 
to a couple days ago and she said hello to me but with using my first name i didn't even know that she knew who i was and you know here's a woman in her 80s who's still keeping up with the people who at the time was in her 80s like you know keeping up with like knowing who people were in her organization which is quite large now by the way um (laughs) you know uh, that that's a that is an incredible testament to someone who was committed to their people and you know and to being a good leader and you know, we, we don't see enough of that. Mm-hmm. I think there's just something magic about the Muppets and the productions that it's just these people and these things just fall into place. Like, you know, everything just works so well. And I mean, like we were saying, I was going to bring up the Paul Williams thing too. Like he just, you know, Jim just put his trust in it. And it's just these people that are found and just, you know, put to work on this, they do their best and it just, it works out perfectly. I mean, I can't, I can't, I can't even explain it. Like, it's just something, something about it. It's, it's just something that you want to be a part of because it, you know, there was a, a great quote from Fran Brill where she said, um, and I think this goes for the environment of not only like the Muppet show, but Sesame street, obviously just, you look at how happy everyone is to be working on it is Jim had this mentality of whether you were the CEO or the guy who took the trash out, your ideas mattered, your opinions were important everyone deserved to be listened to and that is most certainly as as someone who has worked in for various corporations i can say that that's definitely not the environment it's yeah it it is a it is a class system majority so for an environment where everyone is listened to that's where these great things tend to come from yep couldn't agree more. Who is your favorite Muppet from Sesame Street? I know you said Grover, but if you had to pick a second. Guy, Guy Smiley. Easy one. <laughs> He's the best. Oh, good, yeah, one. good one. And for me, it's it's Big Bird. I wanted to live in the nest and walk around with the eight-foot yellow bird <sighs> uh-huh. and just be be friends. You might still be able to. How was it going there and seeing the stoop for the first time? It's pretty epic. Like, it, No, it was – I mean, the, the set is – a magical place you know ellen and i were there and you can't help not to feel when you're on that set it is just so cool to be yes yes no and the people the people there are just as lovely as what you could just imagine as well so it's it's a it's a pretty amazing place you know there are some special things that we've gotten to do in our life but definitely being able to be on the the street yeah (laughs) and to do this film has been such an incredible privilege uh for us and you know it's been a like i said it's been a long ride but we're definitely grateful to have been on it (laughs) yeah and we just hope that as many people as possible can see the film because we really want yeah, everybody to know and not we, only about the the show and the history of the show, but really that you know creativity wins. Yeah, I mean that's the thing is that you know this is you can change the world through creativity and and intention, and that's that's I think really the underpinning. Yeah, yeah. Well, we appreciate you guys doing all this work. So grateful. Yeah, we are we are so grateful for you coming on our show today. That means a lot to us um as soon as i saw the documentary i was like how do i get these people how do i how do i talk to them how do i become their friends well we've been we've been following you guys for a long time so you've been on our feeds for uh you know for for, for quite a quite a chunk of time so i would be like where do you get that picture 
<laughs> Where did that picture come from? <laughs> and thank you for your support. You know, I mean, we we love and, you know, it's we did this film in a pandemic and released it in a pandemic. And, you know, so getting the comments and hearing that people enjoy the film. I mean, we read everything that comes over, yeah. like every post, everything, because we haven't been able to see it with a group of people. I mean, you know, it's very difficult as a filmmaker not to be in a room with other people watching it together. So, you know, please share all the information. Please tweet us you know message us you know you know for your audience let us know what you think of the film we really appreciate it because it means a lot yeah where can everybody um if you guys want to maybe like plug your social media accounts and uh so we can do that yeah so we're on instagram facebook and twitter and it's at street gang movie Perfect. And that's the same as the website is is streetgangmovie.com and you can sign up there for uh, be part of our mailing list and um, pretty much anywhere social media can be found we're, we're, we're there. <laughs> and you can buy the DV, you can buy the um, DVD um, that'll have all the bonus features on it, um, even some extra bonus features that won't be available anywhere else. Um, that'll be available in Walmart and Barnes Noble and pretty much anywhere you can you can get uh, DVDs, I think, iTunes, and everywhere else. You can uh, you can pick it up uh, pick it up now. Fantastic! Once again, we'd like to thank our guests Trevor and Ellen Shearer Crafts. Um, it was an honor to have them on the show. Check out Street Gang, the documentary, and then after that, check out the book. It's wonderful that we're getting so much fantastic information about Sesame Street, and that we're getting to highlight these people who really didn't get much attention, but most certainly deserve it. Sesame, like the Muppets, is a family, and it's wonderful that some of these members are finally getting the spotlight they deserve. So check it out wherever movies are sold. And Madison, if they want to follow you, where can they find you? On Twitter, I am at Steely Dam, and that is with three N's at the end, S-T-E-E-L-Y-D-A-M-N-N-N. And then, uh, Instagram, I am at Hall and Oatsmeal. And if you'd like to follow me, you can follow me at History Muppet on Twitter or Muppet History everywhere else. Or Half Hearted JG if you just so want to follow my shenanigans and the constant posts about my girlfriend. That will do it for this episode of the Muppet History Podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, hope you enjoyed. Check out our Patreon, check out our YouTube. Uh, Check out the sky. See how it's doing today. And we hope you all have a wonderful, sunny day. Bye.